Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome to Locked On NBA, everybody. I'm Wes Goldberg here with David Ramil, and we are talking about the NBA final series, uh, the Bucks. One game three to avoid a 3-0 hole. The series is uh, 2-1 with the Suns' advantage. Um, but the story, David, has to be Giannis Antetokounmpo, who not just buried the Suns over a barrage of, of dunks and forays to the basket and just unbelievable defense, which I don't think got talked about enough. Um, but he did so in basically back-to-back games. Of course, the Bucks lost game two. The Suns went up 2-0 in the series. The Bucs had to win game three because going down 3-0, the series is over. And it's the first game back in Milwaukee, uh, a more friendly atmosphere for Giannis and his free throws. He converts from the line uh, way more efficiently than he has in the playoffs. And the Bucs get enough help from the supporting cast. But again, I'll go back to this. The story is Giannis, who is putting all of the things together that we thought he could do, right? When we talked about how dominant that this guy could be, what he did against the Suns, just being more physical than them in games two and three, specifically in game three, and doing that to lead the Bucs to a huge game and get back into this series. Uh, just what are your thoughts on Giannis? What are your thoughts on this series as a whole from the Bucks' perspective, David? Well, I mean, he's been phenomenal, right? I, I don't think I'm breaking news here, but I was kind of curious because one of the things that you've talked about over the last couple of years, really, is that you were waiting for the Bucks to show that they could be legitimate contenders, that they could prove it on the biggest stage, that after the last couple of early round exits, that they might have some glaring holes there, that they might not, they might be more pretender than contender. Are you convinced now, having seen Giannis play at this level, that he's been as dominant as he has been, that maybe they are legitimate, uh, legitimately contending team? I am. Um, I'm sold on the Bucks. I don't know that they're going to win this series, but sure. they can. And I just didn't think that they could before. And part of it was Giannis. Yep. Part of it was also Mike Budenholzer. And yep. they have now found a chemistry together. And by, and a lot of people thought that the Drew Holiday acquisition would put another ball handler on the floor and all that stuff. And that's been helpful. And some of yep. like the Bobby Portis and the Bryn Forbes and the P.J. Tucker acquisitions have been helpful. But what stands out to me is just how Mike Budenholzer, I know that he's already won two Coach of the Year awards and all these things. Yeah. He's never been better than he is right now. What he's he is making all the little micro adjustments. He's making he, he's moving the knobs and he's pulling the right levers and he's doing these things on the fly that we just didn't see him do any before. And there's this I think there's this like now like kind of this uh, this sort of media trying to get it right thing yes. happening. You know yes. what I mean? Like, oh, you know, people who used to criticize Budenholz or didn't know what they were talking about. All of you were criticizing Coach. Bo- like All of you were coding, uh, 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 criticizing Bud because Bucks he deserved fans. it. Sure. And now yeah, he doesn't. I, He's doing a better job. He learned from his mistakes. What I thought his adjustments in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals were awesome. I think his adjustments so far in this series have been awesome. I love what stands out to me about Giannis and Boonholzer is they have figured out how much they need to use Giannis as a screener. And that is what stood out to me in that game. It wasn't just Giannis going into isolation, trying to get to that spin move while going downhill. And when it doesn't work, like kind of slowly passing to whoever was closest to him. And that's right. what Miami did and coaxed him into in the last year when they got when the Bucks got eliminated. And it's what some of these teams tried to do earlier in the, in, in Brooklyn did it. Miami tried to do it. Atlanta did it a little bit. 
And then they figured it out. And I don't think Giannis has ever been used more as a screener. And, and it's opening up all these things. They have like this, these like long stagger screens. They'll like, they'll set up Giannis at the top of the key. And then Chris Middleton to just sort of drag yes. screen yes. through it and just kind of wait and they'll wait and they'll wait and they'll wait. And then Giannis will just like pounce at the perfect moment. And then they'll mm-hmm. just hit him on the, on the lob or, or on the roll of the basket. They, they all, everything is just clicking into place at the right time. And even if, Adetokounmpo doesn't wind up scoring that it's all built upon the foundation of his dominance and his ability to roll to the rim as effectively as he has been like I think six assists from Middleton might not sound like a a particularly glaring number but it's the impact of those assists that really stand out to me the fact that he was able to make those plays off secondary actions created Mm -hmm. by Adetokounmpo's rolling to the rim where all of a sudden Middleton has the ball in his hands and you you draw the defense in towards the rim Middleton either has an open jump shot or he can kick it out to the corner to Bobby Porters or Pat Connaughton or somebody else who might be open and just creates all these other plays based off of Adetokounmpo's dominance. And I'm glad that you mentioned the the Budenholzer stuff because I feel like we've all been very much prisoners of the moment over the last couple of seasons with Budenholzer, but you're right in that the criticism was well-deserved. There were moments there where he wasn't capable of making those changes, and now he has been. And I'm I'm glad he's getting his flowers because despite the the constant look of consternation from him where he looks like (laughs) he's just very frustrated constantly, it's just interesting to see that he's actually been coaching this team very well and getting them to play much more effectively. Even in a losing effort in game two, they did play better. And in game three with some of that home cooking, with the the vibes from the crowd, I think they were actually able to show how good that they've become. I think they've just been a much more impressive team as the playoffs have continued on. And and look, the I mean, say what you will. A lot of people are dismissing this finals because there's no clear superstar. And even my comments last week, I said I didn't think that either of these teams were quote unquote world beaters. That's not to say that they weren't good or that this finals wasn't good. In fact, I think I followed up my comments last week by saying that I was looking forward to it because either team could emerge victorious. And I've really liked seeing how the, the games have played out. Obviously, it was a dominant performance in game one from Phoenix, much more even in game two. And then, you know, Milwaukee answers back at home, and that's the way it should be. And, and they've really shown their medal. They've shown their depth. They've shown how quality their coaching can be. And, of course, it starts with Giannis. I, I just – I can't believe that the conversation a week ago from us was, can the Bucks even win a, a game if Giannis doesn't play? Like, we weren't even sure if Giannis was going to be able to play right. in game one. And not only has he played, he's been incredible throughout three, all three games. Yeah, I don't – I won't go so far as he faked the injury, but it just doesn't look like he ever had that injury. I mean, and in how fearless he has been at getting to the basket. I mean, he's taking falls. He is taking contact. Uh, it's just very surprising how he looks because that was the other thing is like, okay, if he plays, what's he going to look like? I mean, he looks like Giannis. He looks like better than we've ever seen him, more dominant than we've ever seen him. I'm shocked by how he'll just plow through Jay Crowder, how he'll just plow through sometimes DeAndre Ayton, who puts up more of a fight. And by the way, should be noted, got into foul trouble in game three. And I think that was a big part of why the game ended up being the way it was. I I still think the Bucs would have won that game pretty handily, but it might have just looked a little bit different. Um, And I think Ayton's going to be a big part of what Phoenix needs to do going into uh, game four, which we'll get to, but um, yeah, he looks awesome. And what, and I tweeted this Sunday night, but it just reminds me of a great running back and a great running game in the NFL where, mm-hmm. you know, old, it, before the NFL was just like, go out and just do four verticals all the time. And that's kind of what the NFL is now. It would, you would establish the run game early. You would coax the d- defense into packing the box and then you would hit him with the play action. 
And that's just what it felt like on Sunday night. They were just setting everything they would up. Go to, right. They were just setting everything up, setting up that three-point shot. They would just go to Giannis getting downhill in that pick and roll over and over and over again until they just wore down the Suns. And then at the end of the third quarter, they, that, that they exploded with all those three-pointers, opened up a 20-point lead, and they did it mostly from beyond the arc. And, and it was a lot of Giannis creating, not just – it was driving and kicking, but it was just – sometimes he didn't have to do that. He would just roll, and everybody would follow him. And then Brooke Lopez or Drew Holiday would be wide open for a three-pointer, you know, out uh, above the break or somewhere. And, and it just worked. And, and this is obviously the strategy. Defensively, I want to take a moment to talk about them here. This is where I've seen a lot of Budenholzer's adjustments too. Do you mm -hmm. play the drop? Do you switch everything? And all these things were talked about in such black and white terms. And what the Bucs have ended up doing is sort of a blend of both. They, right. they will drop sometimes. They will switch other times. They'll mix up the personnel. Sometimes it's Giannis at center. Brooke Lopez obviously starts at center. They'll, they'll mix in Bobby Portis every once in a while. But they're just playing better. And, and they're coming up to the level of the screen a little bit more. They're rushing back to their assignments. They're helping and they're recovering faster and crisper. And this is the kind of stuff that you want to see in the finals. It's just everything on a string. Uh, everything just tightly wound. Every, and, and, and just... Uh, what what they're what they're able to do, and specifically what Giannis is able to do in helping off of him, especially early in these games, to try to take Chris Paul and Devin Booker out of their rhythm. You know, he's helping off that help side defense. He's using those long arms. Drew Holiday is doing the same thing, but really Giannis stands out. I thought early in Game Three really put an imprint on the game defensively as well as offensively with just how he was disrupting Chris Paul early on. Yeah, no, no, all great points. I, I kind of wanted to table the defensive impact there because I think it probably is more relevant as to what Phoenix couldn't do. And maybe sure. we'll save that for the next segment, but I mean, you're right. It, it's kind of, you know, give or take there as far as whether or not it was Milwaukee's defense, as opposed to Phil, um, you know, Phoenix's inability to score the basket, but you're right that they were just incredible performances there from holiday in particular, just so dogged on defense, incredible impact. there. just, even when his shot wasn't falling in game two, he was able to make a huge impact defensively in game three. He was able to score effectively with 21 points and still hound Booker continuously or challenge Paul who looks so good for the first two games. Uh, it's a, it's a very, Look, I don't want to go so far as to say it's a different series, but it kind of feels that way. Like maybe again, this is the prisoner of the moment mentality here, but just in looking what Milwaukee was able to do, the fact that they're not getting much help from their bench. I know a lot of people want to rave about Bobby Portis's four of 11 shooting, but I'm not a believer. <laughs> uh, I don't think you can really count on Pat Conton continuing to play 30 plus minutes. So there's just there's some hesitation there and believing that this, the, sh the series has shifted. But you have to give credit to Milwaukee and specifically to Budenholzer for changing the defense around, for doing things a little differently and, and adding new wrinkles and being flexible. I mean, that's that's been the knock on him. I don't think anybody's questioned whether or not he understands basketball. Some people have been so like there's been so much rhetoric, rhetoric about his inability to make these changes. And I think that's been the biggest problem is that he just hasn't shown the flexibility needed in in a series which is you know i think what everybody started to notice with eric spolster last year is his ability to make those changes during the course of a series which is what led them to that incredible success in the bubble last year budenholzer showed that you mentioned that he did it against atlanta he did it against brooklyn before that and certainly he did it against miami and i think it's continued on into the finals and and good for him because he, he does yeah. deserve that recognition well, it's a tough balance, right? Is dancing with the per the one that got you there, right? Sure. Sort of the trust in the process and all of that. And this is how we've done things. And this is why we had the best record in the NBA and all that. But once you get to these final series, 
some of that stuff, you obviously want to maintain an identity and use what works, but some of that stuff goes out the window where it's just like, whatever, whatever you need to do to win. And I think Boonholzer right. is, is finding that balance and it's hard to find um, as we've really and seen. And it helps when you have such an incredible player like Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's true. Um, which leads us into our Michelob Ultra player of the week in sports. If you think that joy only happens when you win, think again, look at the world's most successful athletes. They don't spend all their days grinding away. They take the time to enjoy themselves, like having a a Michelob Ultra with friends, because they know that happiness is the key to winning, not just the end game, but the whole game. And obviously, our Michelob Ultra player of the week has to be Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, look at these Look at these stats. I mean, 41 points, 13 rebounds, six assists, 14 of 23 from uh, uh, the field, 13 of 17 from the free throw line on Sunday night in that game three. Only two players in NBA history have had 40-plus points and 10-plus rebounds in back-to-back finals games, Giannis and Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, LeBron had was the only other player to have back-to-back 40-point game performances in the finals. So you had Shaq, uh, Giannis, and LeBron. I mean, that is great company. And he is as dominant as those guys were, right? That's sort of what we're seeing here. Uh, and, and he's playing with that kind of joy. That is, it's intense, but you could tell he's also playing with joy, that he's having fun out there because he's playing his game the way that he wants to play it. Michelob Ultra, 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And given how Giannis has bounced back from injury, there's probably been a fair level of therapy especially kind of the massage that you absolutely need in order to continue to prove yourself at this level and look it's not just for professional athletes that need these kinds of things if you're just trying to get through the uh, you know your day tension free let me tell you something theragun can absolutely help it's the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power that's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good, it gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you wanna treat your muscle tension from working out, an injury like Giannis's, or just the stresses of everyday life, there's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future just go to their site and check it out and the theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like real madrid and elite athletes like paul george deandre hopkins maria sharapova and hundreds of thousands of customers and me try theragun for 30 days starting at only 199 dollars go to theragun.com slash locked on right now and get your gen 4 theragun today that's theragun.com slash locked on theragun.com slash locked on today on the road to the finals our nba playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob ultra it's only worth it if you enjoy it and at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season all right let's talk time to shift our perspective over to the phoenix suns who still have a 2-1 lead in this series by the way and have home court advantage in this series ultimately uh they looked so dominant in game one I think things evened out a little bit more in game two. Milwaukee kind of flips the script there in game three and, and draws it to 2-1. But what do you think Phoenix needs to do going into game four in Milwaukee to try to take a 3-1 lead? Kind of simplistic, right? I mean, shoot better. I think, I look, I, I was talking to Brendan Clean, the host of Locked on Suns, who has done a phenomenal job covering yes. the team on its road to the finals. 
But he mentioned DeAndre Ayton's impact there, the fact that he just didn't get any playing time in the third quarter, that some of it might fall on Monty Williams. So definitely check out Brendan's take on it because I think he's as plugged in as anybody about this team. I think, you know, we, we had talked last week that, and specifically about the, the coaching matchup that we felt Monty Williams would probably out coach Budenholzer at some point. Maybe this was a shift in the other direction where Williams actually may have made a mistake. Despite Aiton's foul trouble, he probably should have played them a little bit more effectively, uh, more, more period. Like he just should have put, put him out in there in the floor because you mentioned how the third quarter seemed to swing in Milwaukee's favor. It was a dominant performance from them uh, and just, they just never seemed to get their footing after that. The Suns didn't. And, and I think a big part of that was because Aiton just was out of the game, checked out a little bit mentally and physically because he wasn't able to play because of uh, his foul trouble. But Devin Booker, I, I think just three or 14 shooting performance. I just, and I was looking over the shots and going back over them. I don't know that it was completely Milwaukee's defense. A lot of those shots were absolutely makeable from him things that we've seen him do a number of times throughout the course of his career and certainly in the postseason but you do have to credit milwaukee's defense it was just somebody was always there to challenge him or body him yeah. up whether it's pj tucker or middleton who we talked about or holiday or somebody else there was always a defender there to make things a little bit more uncomfortable to just you know send his rhythm off by just a micro a little bit of you know a little bit of just throwing him off to some degree and then all of a sudden, he just wasn't able to capitalize. And I, I just don't know how he'll be able to bounce back. I mean, we've seen that he can, but I think that's the huge change for Phoenix is they just have to get Booker rolling. They can't have a 10-point performance from their leading score and have any chance of, of keeping Milwaukee on their heels. And I think we're starting to see a little bit more of the limitations of Chris Paul, right? Because he's only six feet. Uh, he has a really hard time getting over those longer defenders of Giannis, Drew Holiday, these guys that are just on his hip. When he's coming and they're they are taking away that mid-range game that we know that that's what Phoenix wants to get to. And what Milwaukee, I think, was banking on, especially playing in Milwaukee, right? Because you know that that three your, your three point shooters, your role players tend to play better at home, not on the road. Phoenix is obviously on the road right now. And so if you could take away the stars and where they're comfortable, which is in that mid-range area. So you're you're sort of cramping their style in that in that spot, but you're going to give up some of those shots to their open shooters. Well, what happened? You know, you had Jay Crowder go six for seven from three point range. And he was the only player on the Suns that made more than one three-pointer in the game. They went nine for 31 overall. They wasted the Jay Crowder performance, uh, David, which you know we can't, you just can't do that. Um, but uh, and, and on the flip side, Milwaukee shot 14 of 36 from three-point range. So they shot 39% overall from beyond the arc. Uh, Phoenix shot 29%. So that's part of the game. They were out-rebounding, uh, out-rebounded. They turned the ball over more than Milwaukee. Chris Paul had four turnovers. They were just bothering him. And when he was getting bothered, you probably need a guy like Devin Booker to step up because he's the opposite of that, right? He's six foot six. He gets a, he gets a ton of lift on that jumper. He's the guy that can kind of, as far as those physical limitations, doesn't have them the same way that Chris Paul does. He's supposed to be able to break free of those chains and kind of be able to get to where he wants, uh, where Chris Paul, we've seen over the course of his career, he can sometimes get a little flummoxed by that kind of thing. So um, Devin Booker can't go three for 14 again, but also in Chris Paul, I mean, he went eight for 14. He was efficient, but he wasn't terribly productive. He, there wasn't a high volume of scoring there. And you probably would have liked to see more from him. I mentioned the four turnovers that he had. Mikel Bridges didn't have a good game. He, he was playing, you know, his butt off in Phoenix. Didn't have a good game. Uh, you mentioned already DeAndre Ayton. He was a minus six in the game, which doesn't look great. But when you compare that to Frank Kaminsky who was minus 12 and some of these other guys off the bench, 
they played Cam Johnson at center, I think, for a little bit. Uh, and Jay Crowder played center for a little bit. Crowder was minus 11 despite the three-point shooting. Uh, Johnson was minus eight. They just they had no answers in the paint overall, and, and their stars weren't stepping up. I expect that to be different, though, in game four, because the other thing that I thought Monty Williams did, and I'm interested to hear your perspective on this, he only played 29 minutes, and you could argue, well, he wasn't playing any good. So why would he play more? It's just, I don't know. Phoenix is beat up. They don't have a lot of bodies. I don't know why you wouldn't play one of your best players, even in a finals game, even when he's not playing great in, the, in basically the entire fourth quarter. But at just 29 minutes, maybe he was getting some rest. Maybe he needed that rest after a long uh, playoff race. Maybe he'll be a little bit fresher for game four. Do you think that was the logic by Monty Williams? I, I don't know. I think uh, at that point, it was probably more to save Booker's uh, psyche a little bit because it just seemed like he was just trying to force himself past whatever clear struggles he was going through there. And it just wasn't effective. So to leave him out there, um, you know, in the hope of what, that he either catches fire, maybe you can close the gap to some degree or, or, or conversely, if he just continues to shoot badly, you don't want him going through that struggle any more than he already has to. So I, I don't think he was necessarily saving him for any reason. Uh, I think he's young enough and he's still healthy enough where there's no lingering injury issue for there. He didn't seem like he was hurt or, or anything like that. To me, I, I think he just wasn't playing because they were already getting blown out and it was no need to put him out there through any more. It did punish him any further by leaving him out on the floor. And like you said, the, the team's deep enough. Just get everybody going. You kind of regroup for game four and just put it behind you. I, I think, you know, you mentioned the Crowder game. You got a big game from Cam Johnson too, but some of your other role players didn't step up. And, and you know, something that was easy to kind of overlook because again, Phoenix won game two is Dario Saric, you know, being yeah. a, a nice spark plug off the bench. They don't have that luxury now. And you have to play Kaminsky for 14 minutes. And, and unfortunately, Frank the Tank just does not look as good as he did back in his Wisconsin days. But you don't get those kind of performances that you had been from Tory Craig or campaign. You're not right. getting much of anything. So if you don't have, you know, we, we talked about this in the first segment with Giannis. He, he sets the foundation. You need either Booker or Paul to set it for Phoenix, and they just didn't get that performance. And so you're living and dying with every Crowder shot or every Cam Johnson shot. And, the th and I think it was in the third quarter where they started closing the gap that had been 20-something at one point, and then they closed it to eight. You know, it was Cam Johnson who got them back into it. He had that big dunk uh, over P.J. Tucker, a, a soul-stealing dunk, I think everybody was referring to mm -hmm. it as. He had a three-point shot from the corner. You got a couple big shots from Crowder, too. They were kind of carrying your offense because you weren't getting anything from Aiton, who was on the bench, or from Booker. But then, you know, you're not getting – you're relying too heavily on those guys. You need – those superstars to be able to step up in those moments. They just weren't getting that kind of productive night from their two big offensive players and Paul and, thought, and Booker. Yeah. And I thought, I thought Chris Paul and Devin Booker were forcing things a little bit early on yep. also. And, and instead of relying on those role players who overall didn't shoot great from three point range, but there wasn't just like that ball movement that we saw in the first couple of games wasn't there. It wasn't as crisp. It wasn't as in rhythm. Those shots didn't come as in rhythm. I thought in game three, as they did in games one and two, and, and I thought they were trying to force things out of the mid-range when Giannis was draped all over Chris Paul or Drew Holiday was draped all over him. I mean, there were opportunities where he could kick out. And I think that's probably the adjustment for Phoenix is, all right, they're going to be this aggressive trying to take away the mid-range game. Um, we got to get the math going our way again. Let's kick out to those open shooters. And maybe it's a swing to the open shooter. And then you've got Milwaukee scrambling and you swing to another shooter and you're able to get some shots. You put more shooters on the floor. You obviously need to get another repeat kind of performance from Crowder. You need to get bigger games 
from guys uh, like campaign and, and Cameron Johnson, Bridges, who yeah. typically have been awesome for three point range. Um, and then of course, if Deandre Ayton stays out of foul trouble, I think you're right. I think it goes back to your first statement. It kind of comes back down to shooting. And I think it goes back to Deandre Ayton just playing better. You know, he's not their best player, but he's probably their most important player. Um, when it comes to kind of being the only guy who can credibly guard Giannis for long stretches at this point. Uh, and so he needs to just be on the floor in a way that he wasn't. Do you, um, do you think, do you think Booker was settling for bad shots? I mean, I know we, we kind of talked about that blend of how much of it was a Milwaukee's defense versus Booker just not being able to hit those shots. Yeah. But part of it also seemed like he was trying to just push his way through it and just didn't really have it going. And maybe that's another reason why Monty took him out early. Yeah, I think it was a combination of both, right? I mean, you you it's like a chicken and the egg type deal. Uh, sure. do you, is is you know Milwaukee's defense could be stifling enough, and then do you start pressing, uh, start trying to get on a roll? And if you're trying to get on a roll, does it take away from some of the facilitating that you're doing and things like that? Um, and I thought Chris Paul was doing the same thing. I think they were both guilty of it. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we'll see what happens in Game Four. Let's talk about some uh, Team USA basketball next. But first, David, tell them about Rock Auto. Well, look, I mean, nobody likes getting auto parts either. There's something wrong with your car. You're just trying to make an upgrade. You're trying to spend money that you don't necessarily want to. And you go in there, you start asking questions. You feel uncomfortable. You feel out of your element. And they're just going to look up parts that they happen to carry on their computers. Why bother going through all that when you've got access to computers at home or in your pocket, which means you've got access to rockauto.com, a family-owned business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. I mean, has the internet even been around for that long? But Rock Auto.com has always been there to help you choose from hundreds of manufacturers on their easy to use site. You get everything you need with just a few easy clicks delivered directly and safely to your door. RockAuto.com's low prices are the same for everybody, so you don't have to hassle. You don't have to worry about whether or not you're getting price gauge or anything like that. You get the same deal that is available to anybody, whether you're a mechanic or just a do-it-yourselfer at home. So go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, then go to the section that says, how did you hear about us? And write the phrase locked on so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car or truck will ever need. That's rockauto.com. Starting July 19th, check out the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 podcast presented by Locked On and Odyssey, featuring analysis from the GOAT of NBA Mock Drafts, Chad Ford, and Odyssey NBA experts Brian Scalabrini and former general manager Ryan McDonough. Our Locked On NBA local experts will make selections and trades for your favorite basketball teams throughout this week-long special event. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 podcast on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts, Odyssey is your audio home for all of the sports podcasts, music, and news that matter to you. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Let's talk a little bit about Team USA. We're recording this before tonight's game on Monday night against Australia, but following this weekend's loss to Nigeria, are you concerned, David, about Team USA in the Olympics? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I have been. I've been saying it on my own show. I, I didn't think, even as I talk about Bam Adebayo and everything else, I, everybody seems pretty optimistic about it, and then, they got to get shellacked by three bench players on Miami's team. You know, Casey Okpala, mm -hmm. Gabe Vincent, and, and Precious Achua wind up dominating Kevin Durant at all. I, I just, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a, a clear cut path for for the USA to be able to win gold. They're they're still favored 
but just there was a lack of effort there, a lack of cohesion, which has been the problem in the past. And you again, the team building approach that we saw make a shift since the redeem team a few years ago was, well, let's build a much more balanced group, right? You can't just throw out any old superstar that happens to be American born out there. It's about blending the right personalities and and floor spacing ability with rebounding and playmaking and things of that sort that's all great you're also missing a few players that happen to be on either the phoenix or milwaukee roster but you still should have enough talent there but then you know you come to camp a little bit late you kind of work your way through it and then all of a sudden you're expected to turn it on against a team that had been together for a few weeks more than the usa group had been and they looked just as dominant. I mean, they looked really, really good. And maybe those are an aberrational type, you know, performances from those guys over in the Nigeria team. But I think there's enough NBA talent there with enough experience and again, cohesion together to make things very difficult for a team USA moving forward. And it's only going to get more difficult. You're going to have other teams that have been together for years. You know, again, this yeah. is, this feels like it's a little more slapdash than I should be, you know, considering what's at stake here for the Olympic team. I just don't think that a gold medal is anywhere close to a guarantee. You might not even medal at all considering the performance we saw in an exhibition game. And maybe I'm making a little bit too much out of it. Maybe the USA players kind of respond back and we'll see whether or not they're able to have a dominant performance against Australia on Monday night, a good team on their own. And, and we'll, we'll see whether or not they'll be able to turn it around moving forward. Maybe they'll be much more laser focused and, and understand what's at stake here. But the rules are a little different. You can't just go out there and expect to have a dominant performance. And I think there should be enough experience on that roster to kind of help, you know, remind everybody between Draymond Green, Kevin Love and Kevin Durant, guys that have won at that level before. They should be able to remind the other new players on that roster that it's time to do things a little differently. But even those guys struggled a little bit, too. So yeah. we'll see how they turn it around for game two. Yeah, Greg Popovich said after the loss, hey, maybe this is going to be a good thing for us. It's like an early wake up call. There's really no stakes other than just embarrassment i guess there's just no stakes right now as opposed to when 20, you're actually 25 in 25 point favorites there were uh, 25 points of favorites before that nigerian yeah. loss i just like it's unbelievable i mean nigeria did have the benefit of practicing more but you you kind of named the three heat players on that roster and it's just kind of that you know like you compare that roster against usa's star-studded group and it's like all right like the hell with practice time i mean there's so much talent why should that matter Um, And and, but you make a good point. And this is the thing that Popovich has been hammering home during these media availabilities is that, you know, we're going to have to play really good defense. We're going to have to play team basketball. We're going to win because these groups like you were talking about, David, have a lot more experience than we do. And I think that and I'm not just concerned, though, because of the loss to Nigeria. I'm concerned also because this is kind of what's happened under Greg Popovich. This is his first Mm -hmm. Olympics. But you go back to that 2019 World Cup, that team really disappointed. And they, they did not have the star power, right? That was the story of the 2019 World Cup team is they just didn't get the stars, right? Like Donovan Mitchell was the best player on that, that team, probably. They didn't have these guys that, that this team has. But that team even still, minus all that star power, um, I think the argument that they tried to make was, okay, well, we don't have all the star power, so we'll be better as a team and all these things. But they, they weren't connected on defense. They didn't know where to go in crunch time. All the same things that could plague this team. And so look, I don't I don't mean to put it all on Greg Popovich because we're still ultimately talking about a very small sample size um, between a disappointing 2019 roster and one exhibition loss. But uh, this has just been the thing. And this was my concern even going in before the Nigeria game was, can you get enough defense out of these guys? And also, mm-hmm. look, I applaud these guys for stepping up and playing for the in the Olympics and playing for their country and all those things. I think that's really, really cool. 
but there was a lot of wear and tear on these bodies. And a lot of these guys have barely had an off season, you know, dating back to last off season, they went through a grind of a regular season between all the COVID testing and a game every other night. And a lot of these guys were on playoff rosters and, and then you go right into the Olympics and they are basically giving away their off season to do this. And you just wonder like, do they have it like physically? Like we know the talent is there, but like from an exhaustion standpoint and a physical standpoint, can they get up and get back to Tokyo and then go back to playing without fans, right? Can they, and, and, and in this sort of COVID environment in this umbrella where in this bubble where you're going to have to do all these things that you were hoping that you were going to get away from, like you can imagine just the fatigue that could set in. So I think there's a lot of things at play here. And I agree with you. It's not a guarantee at all that this team gets gold or, or medals. Uh, I expect them to still, I expect them to put it together, but I do think it's far from a guarantee. Yeah. I mean, the defensive issues in particular, I mean, I'm not sure how much of that is uh, fatigue maybe from that long season that you described or the fact that they have not been together for long or that maybe even you know, players like, like Chris Middleton, who is a, a great defensive player, will be able to contribute and you know, Drew Holiday will be able to contribute. I mean, how likely uh, will Gabe Vincent be able to, to you know go off the way he did from the perimeter if you have a guy like Holiday hounding him? That, that's going to help, no doubt. But it, it shouldn't come to that point. You know, I, I think right. we, we, we keep talking about how much talent they have. It's evident, but they also has to have some kind of focus there, some understanding of what's at stake. And maybe you go into an exhibition game kind of taking it lightly, assuming that you're just, your talent is going to dominate. And that clearly wasn't the case there. So, I mean, a lot kind of hinging on an exhibition game against Australia in game two here. I just, maybe it's unnecessary or it's unfair to say, oh, they have to turn it around so quickly. But they kind of do, right? You can't just go into. We've seen other teams around the, the world. I think it was a, you know, the, the the French team a couple of years ago. They assumed that they just had all this kind of talent, and then they wound up falling short here. I think we've seen this from other groups in the past. And, and look, that's the reality. Also, is that around the world, teams have caught up. Not only are there more international players on NBA rosters than ever before, but just the the coaching methods, the training methods, the talent level has increased globally and that's a good thing too it shouldn't go in there you shouldn't go in there assuming that the usa is the best team anymore uh and i and i think we're starting to see more evidence of that moving forward uh do you think they switch up the starting five tonight they had damian lillard bradley beal jason tatum kevin durant bam out of bio do you think they maybe i wonder if they try to work in draymond in that starting five because not only can he run some offense for you you get damian lillard and bradley beal playing off the ball a little bit and durant if he's end up being the starter or maybe you bench Beal, maybe you bench Tatum, who, you know, coincidentally had the best game out of anybody um, in that first exhibition. I, maybe you put in him and then obviously you've got um, well, an advantage have a on better, defense there. Yeah. You have a better balance when holiday and Middleton come in there because then they provide that defense in the backcourt that's missing with Lillard and Beal. Those are two undersized guys that can get mm -hmm. exploited and aren't particularly good defenders at an NBA level. And certainly they're not going to be at the Olympic level either. So I think you need to try and do something, but you just you don't have a lot of options until you get your full complement of roster back. Yeah, I guess the uh, the listeners will know what happens Monday night uh, when they start hearing it. But that'll do it for us today. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked On NBA wherever you listen to podcasts. Thirty minutes of the NBA's top stories every day. We'll be back here next Tuesday. In the meantime, you can find me over at Locked On Warriors and David over at Locked On Heat. Enjoy your day. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you here next Tuesday.